Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm joined by Matt Trumpets. Matt, good to have you back. You were missed in the YouTube comments and emails. I had over two people write to me and tell me how the show wasn't the same without you. Aww. Well, that makes me feel even more honored and loved than I already felt. Lots of news today. Inevitably, there's going to be some tire discussion, and I think... For once, there is actually um, not an outcry. That's an exaggeration. There is genuine interest in what's going on in the tyre world moving forward. I think we've sort of got away from this. Oh, blinking heck, what are they going on about? What are they going on about tyres for? To people genuinely starting to understand the the dynamic of tyres within the sport and looking with interest to what Pirelli and F1 are going to do with them next. Yeah, it's hard to get away from the fact that the tires are where the, well, rubber meets the actual road. And as such, getting it right and getting it wrong is a huge differentiator in performance, both between drivers in the same car and between teams trying to make best use of the tires they do get on a weekend. We are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. We're also joined in the sheds by the prodigal son of Missed Apex podcast, our quizmaster, Chris Catman-Turner. How's it going, Chris? Yeah, good evening. It's great to be back. Yeah, we have missed the quizzes. The, the problem we had with them was really scheduling-wise, because they're, they're quite intensive to prepare, produce, and then edit. But we've got a bit more time now. We should, we should revive the Missed Apex quizzes. Yeah, let's do it. Certainly in the off off season, you had nothing uh, nothing to complain about with the the quality of the questions. Then, oh no, the questions 
were random. The the the, the accuracy of the answers that was part of the charm, though, Chris. That's that's how I feel. Yeah, fitted in very well with the philosophy of the podcast. Then do you know what? it's it's such um it's like being married providing a quiz to us. Like you provide a hundred questions and ninety nine of them are bang on and accurate, and then one of them I don't know you got the team number wrong or something and everyone's ah, oh, what a joke these quizzes are terrible yeah the year of the first safety car i'll never let that one down shocking must do better we were also supposed to be joined by chris stevens but he forgot and he is currently in a car with bradley philpot coming back from the race of remembrance and so he will be represented tonight uh, by this chair so we we may ask the chair the odd question. But for those of you who did turn up, let's talk about the news. Okay, Matt, we're going to start with a bit of a roundup of the things we missed on the, the US Grand Prix. The The great thing about doing those, those shows straight afterwards is we kind of get a real immediate reaction to the races. Everyone is still buzzing. We get the highest live streams when we do it like just after the race like that because we don't want to leave it until Monday and let everything go go cool. We like doing it the day of the race. However, you're going to miss the little bits of information that dribble out over the next 24 hours that the other, I don't want to say lazier podcasts, but the other lazier podcasts get that information and we don't. Yeah, and, and never mind, there's only so much time in a podcast anyway. There's always stuff that happens ancillary to the weekend that we just don't have time to fit in because especially when a race is exciting and things happen, you'll wind up talking about that. Actually, we do. We will occasionally get um, a criticism from new listeners who will say, oh, but you didn't talk about Giovinazzi losing the back end in turn three before the second pit stop and you go, yeah, okay, yeah. We, we don't do a team-for-team team rundown. And there are podcasts out there that I could recommend if if you wanted me to that will do it like in grid order and go, right, let's start at the back. And they go through all 20 t- cars, all 10 teams, and do a breakdown. We tend to focus in on what excited us. We want to have the same kind of debates and arguments you guys are having on Twitter and online. And then on these kind of new shows, we can pick up pick up the the more in-depth points and um and and we were chatting loads on the patreon podcast about uh, future regulations the stuff with the ferrari engines and this gem of of a bit of information coming up about hamilton's brake bias i don't think i've heard of anything like this before but these kind of things they do seem to happen to hamilton yeah they do uh this is really fascinating because you look at him and it was a good qualifying but in q3 uh, botas had the clear advantage over him and it turns out uh, on the Mercedes steering wheel, the brake bias adjustment has a cover that goes over. So you set it and you cover it. And he had, I think the word was inadvertently, knocked that loose. So as he was using the steering wheel, he kept on resetting his brake bias and that they reckoned this was responsible for him being not entirely competitive with his teammate in uh, Q3. It does have to be quite distracting when you don't know uh, how much brake pressure you're going to get on the front and rear brakes locking, you know, that can make a massive difference into a corner. So I can imagine that would do a couple of tenths or so. And he was, what, four tenths off? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, they had a list of the turns where he felt it had absolutely affected him. And it was easily four turns, including some of them into the uh, longer straights where you're going to lose extra time as a result. I, I would be interested to know if that affected him in his second run in Q3 as well. 
because that you think that was the kind of thing that you would pick up in between the runs but by then the track had evolved so that nobody's nobody was increasing their time but again that's not entirely not lewis's hamilton's fault so i mean he's the one that knocked the cover off and he also well i suppose it's from that point on it's not his fault that he didn't get a second run but anyway what all i'm saying is we're not excusing hamilton he was still the one that that did it yeah, I mean, in the end, he was the one who knocked it off and it's being reset. But I mean, imagine your Mercedes. Like, I always think of this in terms of when I turn up right before a show and you yell at me and say, there's a hum. And I'm like, but I haven't touched any dials. But there's a hum and there's two minutes to air and you're just sitting there going, what is it? What is it? What is it? I can imagine they could see brake bias changing unexpectedly. And all the engineers, both back at Brackley and on site, are sitting there tearing their hair out, investigating every possible system that might be causing it to switch without any input and none of them thought oh well maybe just you know has he checked the switch and make sure he's not changing it himself until well after qualifying was over yeah yeah. it must be such a weird fault from an engineering point of view to go why is that happening that must be maddening and jamie ryan in the chat room is accusing us of hamilton having hamilton bias bias (laughs) which is absolutely hilarious Hello there to the live chat. You can join the live chat. It's not a secret club or anything. It's open to everyone. Just go on YouTube, search for Missed Apex Podcast. You'll see our faces at the top and the chat at the bottom. It's it's a great way to watch a podcast. There's people making comments about Chris Stevens's empty chair. Uh, <laughs> some references to Clint Eastwood that I won't read. Uh, also saying that's not realistic because that chair is tidy. Uh, there we go. Uh, thank you very much to all of you guys who joined in, uh, who are joining in the live chat tonight. Isn't this interesting, though, that Bottas being on pole meant that the rest of the field were quite competitive and quite close up because Hamilton had, had taken himself out of the picture with that error. I'm going to anger a few people out there. So trigger warning, OK, when I say when Lewis Hamilton isn't on pole, and a Mercedes is, it's because he's either messed up by his own fault or he's he's had an issue. So he's either done what I accuse him of doing all the time, which is not having a banker lap and just going for it too hard, or he's had some kind of issue, as all drivers do. So I would say, Chris, am I going to upset people here? If Bottas is on pole, you didn't see the best possible time. Change my mind. Oh, I don't think I can. I think that's probably quite realistic. I, I think the issue is that when you had... Rosberg and Hamilton, they were genuinely reasonably close in pace. Now that will probably trigger a few people, including <laughs> you. But um, I thought they were relatively close in pace, whereas I would have suggested that Bottas 5.0 or whatever iteration we're on right now, I would suggest that that he's still on his day can challenge Hamilton, but not on a regular basis. So yeah, if Bottas has got the pole, you wonder what's happened to Hamilton rather than that's Bottas fair. being excellent. I think that's fair. So I'm not, maybe yes, we can't categorically say there wasn't a day where Bottas was just faster. But as a as a rule of thumb, I think if Bottas is on pole, you have to look at where Lewis Hamilton went wrong. And I would say where Bottas does have Hamilton is consistency and a bit of a, a smart qualifying strategy. Because I've always uh, done down Lewis Hamilton for just going too hard on the first run in Q1, in Q3. And those are often actually the the best Sundays once he's done that because he's often got it sorted by Sunday. So when he's P4, P5, like he was at Cota, it makes for a genuinely interesting race. Okay. Oh, speaking of the, the races being interesting, one of the interesting factors in the, the USA Grand Prix was the surprising 
lack of Ferrari pace. And everyone, of course, including us, sneered. I'd say sneered is correct. That The Red Bull guys had come out with their technical directive asking if they could, hey, for no reason, we're not accusing anyone of anything, but can we have this system, please, that is clearly a violation of the rules? Oh, we can't. Okay, guess you'd better check to see if anyone else is using that and make it public. And then suddenly the Ferrari pace disappeared. However, since since that race, I think a lot of people have been making the case in the week, including Mark Hughes, that actually it's a complete coincidence somehow and it's nothing to do with that. Don't look behind the curtain. Have you had your mind changed at all, Matt? Because I'm I'm convinced that you take the simplest route. Occam's razor uh, asks you to say which scenario asks for the less least new information. And I think for me, it looks like a duck. It's quacking. It's waddling around. I think it's a duck. I think Ferrari had a cheaty system. Red Bull have rumbled them, and they're not allowed to use it anymore. Is there is there any sympathy for the the case for the defence? Um, yeah, I think if you are inclined to believe Red Bull, a team noted for their honesty and following the rules, uh, you would absolutely um, have to say that at best, we lack data to come to that conclusion. And this is two simple factors involved. Well, three. Uh, One would be uh, the amount of downforce that Ferrari ran at Circuit of the Americas. It was the same, more or less, as they ran in Mexico, where their competitors ran less downforce. So right off the bat, you've got a problem. The second thing you have to look at is the track temperatures were generally lower. Which tends to suit their competitors. uh, Well, this is problematic for Ferrari, who've always been lighter on the tires than, let's say, Mercedes. And if you look at the first, especially the first few laps... Uh, of the race, it was clear that they didn't have their tires up the temperature. Now, one of the side effects of running more downforce is your tire slips and slides less, and therefore it develops less heat in the tread. And the, I think I think it really was very much down to having an engine that gave them that advantage. They said, let's put more downforce on so that we lose less time in the corners, because uh, in Coda, we see that that's going to be bad for us in terms of overall competitiveness. But that led to, one, them not being able to use the tires properly at the start of the race, never mind Vettel's broken suspension. And two, I think it just inherently uh, unbalanced the car. It took it away from what made it really, really fast. So it was a good idea that didn't work. I'll be very curious now to see what happens in Brazil, where they did not do particularly well last year either. They weren't really competitive there. And uh, to be fair, uh, Mr. Mark Hughes in his article does suggest that Brazil will be a great litmus test because you've got that huge, great drag up the hill. Uh, Catman. Yeah, and you've also got the altitude uh, difference there between Cota and Interlagos. Because um, Interlagos is is at about nearly 800 metres above sea level, whereas Cota was uh, not high at all. It was, I think, 100 and something metres. So that'll definitely starve the engines a little bit and, and bring it back to that. So I think you're going to see um, Ferrari struggle again, uh, even you know up that massive long straight, and that's a really good one for for slipstreaming. So I think they're going to struggle. Yeah, and and I know you like to bring up Occam's razor, but we have actually learned some information now about how it was um, how it's being theorized that Ferrari are getting away with that. And uh, you know, if you want to go take a nap or possibly you know take your kids out for some pizza and come back, uh, I, I would like to go over that with our audience if they haven't already seen it. Uh, go go for it. 
Right. So first of all, I'll make this easy on you. If you have F1 TV, just go watch the weekend debrief, find the bit with Rob Smedley and the thing that looks like a U. And he explains it far better with visual aids than I will ever be able to do with words on a podcast. But if you don't and you haven't seen it, essentially what they're accused of doing is tricking the measurement of the fuel flow due to what they call aliasing effects. So imagine a letter U. And the top of the U is where you start your measurement, and then you measure in the middle, and then you measure at the bottom. Okay, I regret and this, and, middle, I, and I apologize, but, but we're, we're in too deep now. And, and then again at the top. So normally that would give you four points of, to average, and that's your fuel flow, because fuel flow isn't linear. It happens in bursts. It happens in, yeah, bursts. I'll go with that, because other words I'm thinking of could be misconstrued, so I will leave them out. Squirts. Uh, yeah, spurts, I was thinking, but well, now we've wandered down that track. Anyway, so what happens is if that measurement doesn't start at the dead top, but is delayed by, let's say, a tenth of a second, you miss the peak of the fuel injection. So you're offset by a tenth. And that's called aliasing when you're talking about signals like that. And the theory was that the wires that ran close to the unit were inducing this lag, we'll call it to make it simple. And then that left the top of the fuel basically not contributing to the average. However, you do still have a problem in that you only have so much fuel in the car. So it's not like you can ignore it entirely. So I'm wondering if qualifying was the main place they were really getting this advantage if if there was some kind of fudge going on. If you look at the qualifying performance, I will have to pick up uh, Mr. Hughes on, on one thing he said, which is that Vettel being so close to Bottas sort of proves somehow that Ferrari was still on the pace in qualifying. I would argue, however, that that Hamilton, had he not had his brake bias issue, might well have been a, a little, at least better than he was. And we at least didn't see the potential of, of what that Mercedes could have done in qualifying in the US Grand Prix. Yeah, I come back to my previous point. I think Vettel should be on a par with Hamilton uh, and not with Bottas. So yeah, that's uh, the one to point out, isn't it? So can we at least agree, Chris, what what we see in Brazil? How will that color what how we see this uh, Ferrari Ferrari fudge? Are we going to say, look, thing A happened, thing B happened, therefore Ferrari had found a loophole and now they're busted, or are we what are we going to see that is going to justify the mental gymnastics that people are putting themselves through to say that Ferrari have not flaunted the regulations? It's going to be very tricky to decipher because normally I'd want to look at this over a couple of races, but we only have a couple left. Um, so you're not, you're not going to see a, an obvious tail off because you could put it down to circuit specific characteristics that could play into other teams' hands. For example, I'm expecting Red Bull to be quite strong this weekend. Um, but, you know, I would have expected on a normal day, Ferrari to have had that top speed advantage, maybe five miles an hour at the end of that long straight. If we're not seeing that, then I think we should be asking ourselves the questions as to, you know, he, Binotto said, oh, we haven't changed anything. I don't know what you're talking about. I haven't even read that regulation. Um, uh, I'd like to, to call that one. And I, I think that the, the next time uh, we, we won't see that same top speed advantage that they've endured for the whole season. Which, And, and I think, as was it Chris said last time, or the empty chair said last time, that 
actually, you know, that, that has a massive effect on how the rest of their car will work. Cause if they're not getting the, um, the, the same kind of power output, you're not going to get the same kind of airflow over the car. All these things will change it. So I think you'll find them slipping back to that solid third place. Yeah, uh, but that's where they were last year. I mean, I think you absolutely have to look at relative downforce. And for me, like if we're talking Occam's Razor, think about how complicated that system would be to cheat for what cannot be all that great of a game because you're still ultimately limited by total fuel capacity in the car. And so to me, it, it's it's too much of a cheaty cheat and not enough of a clever cheat, if you know what I'm saying. And to- I, I don't I don't see them spending resources on it because I don't think the benefits it provides are as massive as what we saw in, let's say, the difference in speed in Mexico. All I want to tell our audiences, because you've missed Matt, is to follow him. He's very underfollowed in 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 terms of Twitter followers. So go along to twitter.com and search for Matt PT. 55 and stalk his wife as well. He actively encourages that at a Weaver writes. She writes romance novels. Matt, continue your point if uh, if I have failed, if I have not failed to throw you off it. No, you haven't thrown me off at all. This is the best thing ever. And I was so excited to be able to talk about this on the show because this is not the first thing Ferrari is accused of doing in order to cheat. Do you remember just a bare few races ago, there was all this talk about the intercooler and oil and this and that and the other? Well, for those people who are patrons of our show and are in our Slack chat, go to the F1 Tech channel and you will see exactly why, exactly why they were accused of this. Because someone, I think, saw some oily residue around the charge cooler. And there would be no good reason for that to be there because oil, as we all know, has thermal transfer properties that aren't nearly as good as water. So immediately suspicion was, here's another way Ferrari is getting oil into the combustion chamber. However, it turns out that they are actually running a fancy new graphene-infused cooling liquid called flex Graph in their charge cooler. Um, and now this is more associated with Formula E and EVs and stuff like that. But they do claim that it's a thousand times more efficient at heat transfer than just water. And apparently it is infused in some kind of an oily substance. So that's where that accusation of cheating came from. And now it is cleared up and you all know something new. Do they still smoke when they come out of the garage nowadays? Because they, they, in testing, I think you could see a big plume of smoke coming out of the garage. I haven't seen that as much recently. Uh, yeah, you're not allowed to actually recapture burned oil. So like you, most people have like a PCV valve in their car that recaptures it. They can't do that. So it usually gets, um, gets sent out the exhaust or there's a separate exhaust for it. Uh, and that's why the Ferraris were smoking. And you'll see other cars do that too, uh, on the start from time to time. Yeah. Maybe. But at the beginning of the season, I saw them do it. Um, you know, kind of, it was, it was dramatic. You know, it was like standing outside a bar at 11 o'clock on Friday night. Whereas it was nowadays, I, I don't tend to see that kind of, as they both set off at, in the end of Q3, I don't see that kind of plume of smoke coming out of the front of the garage. Matt, I think it's um, it's time to move on from Ferrari the, because we will we have set our we have set our stall out. We are looking, I think, now for more evidence up the hill in Brazil and maybe down the long drags in Abu Dhabi to resolve to resolve this one. Where should we? I, I know what we'll do next because I, I want to talk. I want to talk Hulkenberg. I want to talk Renault. But we can kind of get there 
via Alfa Romeo because Alfa Romeo took the what was to me somewhat surprising decision to re-sign Giovinazzi. I have heard people say that he has had a better second half. It's not something that has particularly stuck out in my mind. But at no point has Giovinazzi jumped out and, and said to me, I'm somebody you need to be desperate to hang on to. And with all the best will in the world to Kimi Raikkonen, he is my age and I am old and tired. F- fine, fair enough. I'm not a F1 driver at peak F1 driver fitness, but I think we can all agree Kimi Raikkonen, even at Ferrari, wasn't showing his top pace. So by all likelihood, Giovinazzi is not looking good against a very good veteran, but a veteran who is not at the height of his powers. Why do you think Giovinazzi is still in the loop at Alfa Romeo? Uh, money. Oh. I mean, it's got to be money, right? What? Yeah, I mean, he seems to be Ferrari's kind of chosen one, or kind of that's the one that they either going to put him in a Haas or in the Salva. Um his his record this year has been, well, let's face it, kind of abysmal. I mean, Raikkonen scored points in the first four races of the year and Giovinazzi didn't score until kind of Austria. So that's kind of already halfway through the season, which is, is just a, abominable, really. And he's he's not really been a, a match for Kimi at all. And as you said, Kimi was diminishing in his, uh, in his powers. I think he's still there for the jollies. Um, but... And Kimmy said that if he doesn't finish, if he finishes 11th, he might as well finish last. And, and I think that's kind of what Giovinazzi is, is doing for them. So when you say money, Matt, whose money are you talking about? Is, is Giovinazzi a stroll? Is he rich or are you, where, what money? I, I sponsor money, I would assume. It's not, I haven't done any research on it. But if you ask yourself, why would a fast but highly erratic and somewhat inconsistent driver who's had now a season and a half or so, to show what he's got and and is, I mean, really, uh, it, it's not like he's 18 either. Why is he still there? Well, I don't know. I mean, money seems to me the obvious answer. You, you look at you look at Williams, Russell's there because Mercedes, Kubitz is there because he came up with the money. Who's going to be there next year? Probably Latifi. Why? Because he came up with more money and because Kubitz's sponsors weren't happy giving that money to Williams, given their performance. This is the way... Formula One works at that level to a certain extent. Uh, Ray Parker says, uh, easy spanners. Gio is there because of Ferrari. Oh, no, sorry. That's Stephen Armstrong. Gio is there because of Ferrari engines. Uh, DeJotman says, Giovinazzi is a Ferrari kid. Ray Parker suggests, and this is all in the live chat, by the way, that uh, that Giovinazzi is there because he has dark, smoky eyes. True story. I'm being told off for pronunciations again. Sorry, pronunciations. Ian Caldwell says it's pronounced Jovanazzi. Okay, I'll give you that, Ian, as long as you say Fettel. Every single time you say Sebastian Fettel, because that is how it's pronounced. Uh, And let's see, uh, Mark Greenhouse says he looks like Peroni. Oh, no, they're talking about your beer, Chris, I think. Are you drinking a Peroni? Other beers are available. uh, I prefer a craft beer myself. I would go to www.beer52.com forward slash Apex to claim my 10 free beers just for the price of the £4.95 postage and packaging. That's what I would do, personally. Beer52.com forward slash Apex. Matt? Uh, Well, Des in the chat room makes the point that he's struggled for funding, but he's Italian and it's Ferrari. So that tells you everything you need to know. And my response to that is, but yeah, if it's Ferrari and they have that much influence, then that basically amounts to money, just not directly from the driver. 
I see. Fair enough. So much in the way that Maldonado and Perez had wealthy benefactors or wealthy organisations helping them through their career. But that leads us through to Renault because Nico Hülkenberg, before this announcement was made, was citing Alpha as one of his options. And Hülkenberg just came out and just plain up said he didn't fancy Williams. But that that was when the night was young, when they were still with their mates, having one or two pints in the pub. Now it's 2am and Alfa Romeo has gone into a taxi with a long-haired Italian dreamboat. Suddenly, Williams looks better than a kebab and a lonely walk home. Will he change his mind, Chris? Now that the door has shut on Alfa, will Hulkenberg kind of go, all right, Williams, nice dance moves. It's getting kind of late. He'd be getting pretty desperate if he did. Um I, I think he's got plenty of other options open to him. I, I don't think he needs to hang around in F1 for F1's sake. I would suggest that, you know, he's got plenty of options. There's WEC. He's proven a, a winner at Le Mans already. So, you know, a, a top LMP1 team would take him just like that. There's always the Formula E option. You know, he's he's got plenty of credentials that could could make him retire to Formula E like so many others do. Um and there's, I'm sure, I mean, what he said himself was, he said, I don't know if I'm going to be racing at all. I might just sit on the sofa in my pants. <laughs> it's always that a good option. That sounds like a good option to me. Yeah, it does. Um, just because you said for, 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 did you say for F1's sake, staying in F1 for, for F1's sake, it reminded me of a podcast of the same name. I won't often recommend other podcasts because I claim this is the only podcast that covers F1 and I jealously guard our listenership, but do go and check out this week's For F1's Sake podcast. I've got the, I've got the title right, haven't I? It's For F1's Sake with Terry, Phil and Chica. And their, their rundown of Lewis Hamilton's sixth world championship is bang on, funny and spot on. And, uh, and I've already messaged uh, uh, Terry to say I owe him a pint because I think they, they put it across wonderfully. Um, yeah, so listeners, if you wonder why I'm not on for another six months, it's because I will have been told off for that and uh, been sacked. So sorry. For me- <laughs> How dare you mention the name of the show? No, go and, go and check out for, for F1's sake. Very different kind of show to what we do here. The, the, the concern I have with Hulkenberg at the moment is he's, he's playing it cool and he, he is playing it cooler than his current market value actually justifies. So in one sense, he's justified to big up his own credentials. He's been been a paid driver in F1 for 10 years. Uh, he's, he's kept himself in the midfield. He's been competitive up against other drivers. There's, there's no shame in what he's done uh, in his career. The black mark being that he has failed to capitalise on those real glory podium uh, podium chances. He had some glorious podium chances. Brazil in 20... 12, I think, when he ended up running into Lewis Hamilton from the lead. I think, was he in, even in the lead? And he was, in, yeah. Uh, uh, Baku, he, he put it in the wall. I mean, a lot of people were putting it in the wall. But he's missed those chances for glory, which might have added up to a top team at some point saying, you know, come, come, in, come and drive with us. Or when he was younger in his career, he might have taken a reserve role. He might have taken a, a test role or had some kind of more junior association that he now feels is beneath him. So what Hulkenberg is doing is he's feeling the pride of that career and seeing himself as an artisan and as veteran, but he's closing off doors such as Williams, such as reserve roles because of, it seems, that pride 
And I, I don't know if you remember, Chris, Kovalainen sort of talking himself out of staying in F1 by insisting, oh, I will never be a paid driver, which suggested that there was an option for him to bring money and get himself into like a Mauricio or a Cater and will stay at whichever one of those teams he was in. But there's certainly, there's some pride factor with Hulkenberg where he's like, no, no, I'm better than the options that are available. One difference with Kovalainen is that when he was up against Hamilton in 2008, he was absolutely smashed by him. Whereas he's holding his own against Ricardo, who is generally seen as one of the best, you know, B set drivers out of there. You've got, you know, Hamilton and Vettel, uh, arguably at the top. And then you've got people saying Ritz Ricardo there. So, you know, and, and he's, he's not that far behind on, on any given weekend. So. There, there is a difference in that he does have genuine talent. It's just unfortunate that it seems to be um, that all of his lack of flirting has uh, is coming to no good. You know, is, is he treating him mean, keeping him keen? I don't think it's working for him. Yeah, he's, he, yeah. That, that's that's all I think. I think if he genuinely has a desire to stay in F one, he's just slightly overstating his position, just slightly. If he genuinely doesn't care where he wants to be and he's happy to go and look at racing elsewhere or retire then that's fine. But that, Matt, that's just not quite the impression I'm getting. The impression I'm getting is that he's still somehow setting himself in a position where, okay, Ferrari are going to drop Vettel and pick Hulkenberg, Hulk, Hulkenberg and he wants, to, he wants to be in that position rather than at the back with Williams, where you can still, you can still sort of build reputation. He can, he can go and thump uh, Russell next year. If, if he wanted to and really prove, prove something to the world, wouldn't he? If, he? if he went and beat Russell over the course of a season, 19-1 in qualifying, we'd all, be, we'd all have something to think about. Uh, yeah, we would. Uh, and I think you're correct. His attitude is of someone who's got a certain or near certain thing lined up. But from the outside, I'm sure not seeing it at all. I mean, if, uh, I'd be like IndyCar is where he's going to be if he's lucky. Okay, good. Well, uh, Chris, anything else on Hulk before we move on? Uh, no, I've, uh, I think that's pretty good. He, he only actually joined F1 in 2010. Uh, so he's actually not oh. been in F1 as long as we thought. He, he, he was signed up as a reserve driver for Williams in 2007, um, but he only actually got the race seat in 2010. So, he, you know, he, he seems like he's been part of the woodwork for a long time, but actually nine years, that's, that's not as long as I thought. Okay, so, oh, here you go, in the chat room. So people are saying, hey, look, He's not that overrated. Oh, sorry, not that underrated because Stroll has two podiums. You can argue about that all day long. But Paris Pressure says Stroll has two podiums. Baku and was there another one? I thought it was only one. It's only one podium. I think he did really well in one Canadian Grand Prix and finished fifth. I think yeah, that, he got on be... the he came, qualified second in Monza. Was it last year? Yeah, yeah. And there was a, and and both the times he's had those results have been very chaotic races where he's managed to keep it on the road. And fair play to him. Not going not gonna to take that away. It is. Well, I think people are confirming uh, that it's one podium. So uh, Nico Hulkenberg, I, my prediction would be now that he's not going to accept the roles that are going to keep him in F1. I think he's going to stick to his guns. He seems like a very principled fella. Uh, and then come uh, 2030, he is going to be like on the lips of every F1 hipster fan who's going to be... Uh, I remember Nico Hulkenberg and they're going to point to like one race where he overtook some people and they're going to be, he was the best driver to never insert achievement here. So that, that's, that's the destiny, I think, for Nico Hulkenberg. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Shall we move on? I mean, not move on too far. Well, why don't we have a look at, at Renault, Matt? Uh, it looks to me like Renault are not going to achieve their target of fourth place, which, in all fairness, they should be comfortably fourth. And really, they would have been talking about consolidating fourth, but challenging Red Bull. They are absolutely nowhere near that target. Not only that, I think it's nearly certain now that they're going to be beaten by their customer team, McLaren, and although they're trying to downplay that, and indeed McLaren are a historically fantastic team, however, in this era, in this era of F1, being the works team is absolutely key and has a massive advantage. To be beaten by your customer team is horrendous. And I think that's the first time, that is the first time it's happened in this era. In this era, yes, it has happened before. Yes, but in this kind of, in this kind of engine era, Chris. Yeah, I'll put it into context for you. McLaren are currently on 121 points with two races to go. Renault with, don't forget, two top-class drivers, you know, Ricardo and Hulkenberg, they have only 83 points. So that's a massive gulf. You know, to, to overhaul that, they're going to have to be getting those podiums that Hulkenberg so desperately needs um, in the last couple of races. It's just not going to happen. Yeah, and so now the worry is, Matt, with their all their board shenanigans i know we've talked about it on previous shows but with this kind of result this season if you're the new ceo of renault or the board of renault and you go well why are we staying in f1 why are we going to pour more money in when yes they didn't have the finances to challenge the top three but we did not expect that we were going to be soundly beaten by a customer team with a rookie and a still relatively young and inexperienced carlos signs let's be fair it's horrible for Renault. They are absolutely pound for pound. In fact, we'll let Chris get in first. They are pound for pound, the worst team in Formula One. Yeah, and don't forget, Carlos Sainz is the driver that they turfed out last year for Daniel Ricciardo. So to be beaten by him is particularly humiliating. Yeah, that 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 stings more than a little bit. Uh, I was amazed that they uh, kept Hulkenberg and got rid of Sainz, but, you know, hey, 
it is what it is, especially considering he had just come over um, a little bit from the previous season. But it is it is really what it is. If I'm looking at Renault, I'm looking at these last races, I, I'm actually thinking, oh, you know, there has been some improvement. They beat McLaren on merit at Coda, despite their cheating mechanism for brake bias adjustment being uh, taken away from them. Didn't really seem to make all that much difference after all, did it? And if we consider the fact that their wind tunnel has been down for refurbishment, there's a lot of sunk cost already in the improvement of Renault if you are the CEO. And then if we add to that piece of information, the knowledge that uh, Mr. Carter gave us, that they had already signed up till 2024, and you think, ah, okay, so there's now going to be a big penalty if they do leave or they don't sell the team, possible. And then you look at who they brought in. Who have they brought in? They brought in Pat Fry. Pat, I've turned around McLaren just now. Thank you very much. Fry is now at Renault along with uh, Dirk De Beer. So they have a new Aero guy as well. I mean, if you are a fan of Renault and you like Daniel Ricciardo. Hi to all then, three of them. Then, then there's some there, there's a little bit of optimism there. Now, I know that Prost has come out and said, yeah, yeah, yeah. But. And I meant all three Renault fans, not Daniel Ricciardo fans. I know he's very popular. Uh, I... I think we have to just separate two things. You've got the investor side and the team side. So from a team point of view, whoever owns you, you still want to get Pat Fry in. You still want to get your personnel in. I don't think that 2024 thing is kind of like the franchise is signed on until 2024. If they sell it to Mazapan in 2021, I, I don't think there's any issue with them just just buying everything. I think with uh, with Lance with um, Lance Stroll with Force Stroll. It was a bit different because one team was forced into administration. So then they kind of entered as a completely different entity. I, I'm wondering if uh, Team Mazapan might even still be able to race as Renault F1, but just under different ownership. We've definitely, we've had that kind of thing before. So I don't think it's as straightforward as they're signed on until 2024 and they've employed new staff. Therefore, they're, they're definitely, they're definitely staying. Uh, time to roll on, I think, Matt. What do you think? Let's roll on. Because, because tires, because they they roll. No, no. Oh, I see. Yeah, what you, did you see there. what? I'm going yeah, yeah, you see yeah, what? yeah. That is called a. It's called a segue. This one has not gone well. I didn't have enough confidence, and I didn't deliver it with enough panache. But I will take a break to say thank you very much to our patrons and the people who responded. I think to uh, the last patron shout out I did on the Joe Show. Uh, people seemed very receptive to the idea of. If they would buy us a latte or a pint in a cafe or a, a bar mat, maybe they would think about supporting the show. And uh, we've had some very generous contributions from people just using the tip jar on the homepage and saying, thank you, please consider this a pint bought. So I will fly those pints over to you, Matt. Uh, but also we do really appreciate when people sign on as patrons, as 362 of you now, I think, have done which keeps us very much on the road. It's incredible, isn't it, Matt? We've had a brilliant response. Yeah, I'm thinking that's like practically one person a day. I mean, unbelievable. And thank you. Yeah. Yeah, thank you very much. Of course, patrons are welcome to come and join us in our Slack group and hang out there. We hang out there a lot, probably too much, especially on especially on a race weekend. We also do a patron podcast, which is worse content. Uh, anyone who listened to the, the last one, uh, the last two actually have been terrible but, but there you have it. It is extra content. We we don't want to put any good stuff behind the paywall. That's not what we're doing. But it is a little bit more personal. 
It can I tease a little bit? For example, if you'd like to know whether or not dolphins actually have hair, oh, don't, then you're right. probably interested in the patron. Podcast. Okay, right. Listen, now, I can see the sneering when you've said that. Okay, we all know whether dolphins have hair or not, but I guarantee you, start to say in a mic with confidence whether dolphins have hair or not. And you will have doubt in your mind as well. And uh, yeah, so there you go. Yeah, do check out the Patreon podcast if you'd like. Also, there's an option just to remove ads on the audio version. So you can just come in at the lowest tier. Um, there's an option for one ninety nine a month just to have the ad-free RSS feed to add to your podcast player. Patreon.com forward slash missed apex. Say it again. Patreon.com forward slash missed apex. Matt, tires. Interesting thing about the 2020 tyres, which were going to be significantly dif- difficult, difficult, different, but have been difficult. Ah, I saved it. Uh, t- tell You say things now. Right. So easy, easy peasy. Uh, there were targets set out. Pirelli, there was a letter sent around. In general, the teams asked for the following thing. We would like tyres that don't overheat as easily as the current tyres and have a wider working window. And Pirelli has spent uh, the better part of a year now working on these tires, and they were available for all of the teams to test this past weekend at the U.S. Grand Prix. And after testing them, it was universal. The drivers didn't like them. They complained about the lack of grip. The teams are now talking about, well, maybe we'll just stick with the 2019 tires instead. And what I find interesting about that, and I don't know if it's just the way the journalists covering it put it, but... The temperatures at the track for FP1 were 15 degrees C. That's the track temperature, not the air temperature, and 24 C uh, for the for FP2. So that's like cold for a track. That that's like mega cold yeah. for a track. They were meant to keep from overheating, and it's cold. And then the longest stint anyone ran on them was five laps where you're not really going to get a good idea of whether they're resistant to overheating, especially in those temperatures. And finally, and this is crucial, because of the change in how they're constructed, the shoulder of the tire is actually somewhat wider, and they had to run different floors. So the aerodynamics of that tire, especially the rear tire, aren't really optimized for the car. So you're looking at probably losing some points of downforce in any event. And based on this, we're now hearing, oh, well, let's just chuck out a year of development work by Pirelli, and stick with the obviously flawed tires that we are currently running this year because we didn't bother to test them properly. Okay, so Stephen in the chat room says, uh, oh, in fact, look, Michael Dusselhoff has come in with exactly the same comment, uh, which is RIP Haas if they stick with the current tires next year. So when you were talking about these tires being terrible, for, for the hard of thinking like myself, what is so bad about these tires this year and why in particular have Haas struggled with them? All right. So Haas have struggled. These tires are hard because the temperature at which they are really grippy, the range at which they are really grippy is very, very small. And it's relatively speaking, harder to get there. And then once you're in there, it's hard to keep it from going past there. And if you were a team that is invested in especially a lower downforce, slipperier car, which Haas generally has been, solution you're going to spend a lot of time with your tires too cold to work. And then when you do get them working, not being able to control them all enough to keep them from going out the other side. And fundamentally, I think that has been their issue this year. And it's an inconsistency in how their aerodynamics work um, that's causing that. 
Okay, I think I understood some of that. So what were the 2020 tyres going to do? And how much influence has this throwing the toys out of the pram in a not representative test? How much of that, how much of an effect can that have on the decision on the 2020 tyres? Because it feels like you're, you're spelling out a case where they couldn't possibly have had enough information. Surely Pirelli know that. They're smarter than us. Well, I, I think Pirelli absolutely know that. And pretty much that's what Mario Isla said when they interviewed him about it. And he's like, I'm really surprised because, frankly, if you look at the conditions, I think the teams will be a lot happier when post Abu Dhabi, we have our couple of days of testing. The tires will be there. Let's wait till they run them in the desert, uh, you know, and see what they think about them then. Because so how, how long were the runs that they actually did on them this time? Because they can't have run them for very long at all. Uh, my understanding was five laps was the longest run that anyone gave these tires. And that's not enough if you're talking about tires that are going to be harder to warm up because they're meant to be more resistant to overheating and having a wider window. And if it's cold, it's going to be harder to get to that window. So, yeah, you know. Yeah. And I don't mind tires that are harder to warm up because we saw what happened at the beginning of, of Kota with different cars warming up at different speeds. You're going to get overtaking opportunities at the beginning of a race. So I say bring it on as long as they then get into a window where they can settle in, pound in the laps and then go for it. Uh, yeah. And, and you know, boy, if we're going to dissect the previous race, it does make you wonder what had happened if Ferrari had bothered to start on soft tires, for example. So they were talking about getting rid of tire blankets. So I think you're right. It's an interesting thing characteristic to explore in terms of the teams being able to make the tires work at the beginning of the race. It's a big differentiator. The other one is, can I manage the tires throughout the length of a stint to keep them in the optimum place to get the fastest uh, laps in over the longest period of time? Yeah. And the five lap stem is never going to tell you that because, you know, if they're looking at doing 40, 50 laps on some of these tires, you know, you're never going to see the tail off, particularly towards the end of the, the stint. You want to know whether they're going to drop off the cliff or degrade um, kind of regularly, we want to know that rather than just be guessing. I mean, actually, do we want to know it or should we just chuck the tires at them and see what happens? That could be exciting. It could be. I, I suspect once they run in Abu Dhabi, they'll probably go with the 2020 tires because they'll provide the characteristics that they asked where Pirelli have provided tires that have been complained about nonstop by drivers. But generally, the tires do-ish the thing they've been asked to do by the FIA the previous year. Okay, so you talk about tyres because I think you enjoy the the effect they have in Formula One. I think you you understand and you like the strategy. So you're you're not someone who hates in principle the deliberately degrading tyres. So you're not doing down the concept we have at the moment. It's just the specific application we have right now. Yeah, in the sense that uh, the complaint is, and racing always is to a certain extent, management. You're always managing a resource. And much like we talk about the overall series being too power unit centric, you can talk about the tires being too management centric, that we need a little more room for the drivers to be drivers. And especially when we're having a hard time following because of the aerodynamics then we need tires that are more resistant to overheating so that we can have battles that last longer. We don't see people chasing for a lap and a half, then dropping back to three seconds for a couple of laps and yeah. then having a go. We want it to carry on because that's where the excitement comes from. 
Yeah. So what do you need to change in the formula that means that they're not managing fuel so much and they're not managing tires so much? Because that seems to be whenever you get a great battle coming up, you go, oh, but actually I'm going to sit back, conserve my tires, wait for a pit stop or, you know, they're just not able to get into that groove. So what do you need to change about these tires that would make it so they're not managing? Because as far as I can see, you're always going to be going to finish the race at the slowest possible time uh, to actually be in front. And and that's all about management. So, you know, as far as I'm concerned, I, I can't see a set of rules that would necessarily negate that concept. So with the fuel one, you would just have to change physics. So if you can arrange that, there's always going to be, obviously it's artificial now because it's like, oh, look at the small amount of fuel we can use with these hybrids. So that is that is just a, that is an ethos thing. But I think even in the times where you had use as much fuel as you want, there was always a weight consideration. When you look at refueling, that was a huge part of the tactics was how much weight you were going to add to the car. Uh, with these Pirelli tyres, I think in an ideal world though, Matt, you would just have a, a big operating window, but you would have tyres with a certain amount of rubber that you could use up that would then essentially fall off a cliff or or the performance would would gradually go away. But the entire time that they were in the sweet spot of not being worn out, they would be grippy and hot and sticky. Yeah. So fundamentally, there's different kinds of adhesions you're using with a tire. And essentially what you're saying is you want a better thermal degradation profile while still keeping a sort of more of a standard physical degradation profile. So if we think of the tread as being like the insulator of the tire, as the tread wears down, it's harder to keep the tire temperature where you want it. And if you have a wider window, though, you have more laps before you simply cannot keep it there. And then it's down to the driver. How well do they manage sliding versus not sliding through corners? Yeah. How much are they using up on braking? Are they locking that front into the turn? Little things like that start to make a difference. And then that comes more back into the wheelhouse of driver skill. Right now, a lot of it is, well, if my car isn't perfectly designed and set up, no amount of driver skill is going to let me go fast. And I think that's what they're trying to fix with the 2020 tires. Whereas, Chris, if they if they went to groove tires, that all that would be solved and they could just have them last forever and they would be really difficult to drive and that would solve everything. Isn't that right, Chris Stevens, who forgot there was a show and has been really sleepy for the last couple of shows and is currently on the road and it's in, and, uh, instead of being on this show? Mm, interesting. Other Chris, or as I like to call him, Good Chris that turned up. Groove tires, <laughs> let's go. Oh, that was a that was a golden era. I loved that sort of thing. They they were just making up rules for rules' sake at that point. The the interesting thing about the 2020 tires is that they're only all this development, all of this testing, all this investment, they're gonna scrap them the following year because they're bringing in the 18-inch hubs. So then they'll have to do it all again. Why didn't they just I mean, I know they're complaining, but you know, the teams are never going to be satisfied unless they're on top. You haven't heard Mercedes complaining very much, have you? Whereas it's the teams at the bottom who are com- complaining about these tyres. I would suggest that you were to you know, keep them and then just put all that into 2021. Uh, and how many ponies has Hamilton won for his tyre performances on radio during Grand Prix? I mean, yeah, the, the drivers are always going to complain about the tyres because fundamentally the tyres limit their performance and they don't last forever no matter who you are. So yeah, as soon as they start to go off, the drivers being sensitive creatures are going to be like, ah, my tires are off. I hate these tires. They're terrible. Give me new tires. Sticky, sticky, sticky tires. Now, 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 because that's what drivers do. 
Um, uh, but you mentioned the 18 tires. Oh, no, no, no. You can crack on with the, with the 18 tires, Matt. Yeah. Well, we've had some questions in the Slack chat about how 18-inch tires are going to fundamentally change the way tires work. And there's actually really a lot to discuss. So I will try and make it brief. No, I won't. I'm lying. I will not at all. No, uh, fundamentally, you have less sidewall. Less sidewall equals less wobble. Less wobble is good if you're an aerodynamicist because that equals less tire squirt. I said that for Summers, <laughs> in memory of Summers, F1, tire squirt. Uh, less, less tire squirt. However, that wobble also is responsible for heating up the tires. And the tires themselves, because there's less sidewall, will have to be run at higher pressures. So now you get into suspension issues. I believe they've ditched hydraulic suspensions altogether. Oh, wait. Yeah, yeah. spanners. Oh, sorry. Um, I was putting my hand up sort of forlornly thinking that maybe we'd, maybe we'd hit a good threshold for tyre chat. I think it was good tyre chat and it, it made me think of Ray's question in the Slack group, which is since we're talking about 2020, the, the thought is if we stick with these tyres, Haas are done, another miserable season for Haas. Maybe they saw this coming and they're like, well, we may as well keep Grosjean. Imagine breaking the bank for a decent driver and then having him wasted at the back of the field again. But this has got to be good news for Mercedes. Mercedes must be very happy uh, with with the tyres, you know, in this condition that Ferrari have often struggled to to turn on, to, to get working, to get enough downforce and grip to get them working. So I think Mercedes will be pleased. But Ray asked in the Slack group, question for the panel, now that this season is winding down, and it is because the championships have been decided. And actually, even when the championships haven't been decided, for the last four years, if you look at our audience figures, they dip after after sort of Mexico, this kind of time, uh, even in towards the back end of the season, even if there's stuff left to fight for, towards like USA, Brazil, Abu Dhabi, th- there is a natural dip anyway. I think some people get a bit of F1 fatigue as the holiday season approaches. So we start thinking about next season. Ray asks, what is the panel's wish list of things they would want to see next season? Teams, drivers, weather, the return of, of Bernie. If, if we had a wish, and let's forget about, let's take the Hamfosi seven titles as a given, Chris. What do you want to see next season to make you a happy F1 fan? I want to see Red Bull put forward a challenge to Mercedes. I want to see them finally give Max the car that will challenge Lewis to prove that he is the faster driver on any given day. Because I would love to see that battle. You know, it's already sparking between the the two of them when they get on track and they they have their little jipes at each other in the press conferences. I really want to see that hot up. I'm I'm desperate for another Hamilton-Rosberg-style rivalry. And I think it's has a totally different dimension when you're looking at it between two different teams. When it's inter-team, there's so much more um, things that you can go, oh, well, they've changed their mechanics over, they've done this and that. Whereas actually when it's different teams, you know they're going uh, at it full pelt to actually try and beat the other guys. I really love that dynamic. I haven't seen it for years. In the last, I don't know, 15 to 20 years, we've seen this, this shift of what fans expect. And what fans expect is that the drivers... All of them, all all 20 on the grid uh, are somehow superstars and are super important. And they 
they must, in the eyes of the F1 fan, get a fair roll of the dice. So people are desperate to see Bottas getting a fair roll of the dice against Hamilton, uh, to see uh, Albon get a fair roll of the dice against Verstappen. What I suspect we're going to see, if we genuinely see three teams in 2020 competing for the title, which is not impossible because we've had some static regulations for the teams to close up. We could see a three-way fight next season that I would still suspect Mercedes to be at the head of. But just say you genuinely had three teams fighting for the Constructors' title, you would see an an end to the, oh, every driver must get a fair shake of the dice. All those three teams are going to have to pick a driver, like Red Bull have done in the past with Vettel, like Ferrari have done all the time, and like Mercedes like to pretend they're not going to do. But Chris, if it's a three-way scrap between Verstappen, Leclerc and Hamilton, then the number two drivers are going to just have to get in their boxes. I love the way you put Vettel in the number two box already. That was a very <laughs> sly thing to do. I like that. Um, but So the last time we had this situation, correct me if I'm wrong, was probably 2010 when we had Red Bull and we had McLaren and Ferrari. Uh, all roughly on a par, and you had some amazing racing. I think you couldn't really tell who was going to come out on top. So at McLaren, for example, you had Hamilton and Button. They didn't have a number one driver. Um, admittedly, you know they were um, they didn't win that year. <laughs> Maybe that's part of it. Um, too many two people taking points off each other. So it'd be interesting to see whether the teams that have a genuine number one and a genuine number two would come out on top, or if you've got two. You know, hot shoes who are pushing each other to the limit like you would have had with Verstappen and Ricardo, uh, maybe less so with Albon because he's still getting up to speed and, and there's doubts as to whether he's anywhere near the level of Verstappen. It'll be interesting to see whether those teams who are you know, taking points off each other would actually uh, come to the top or not. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I think, I think Albon is looking like he's going to get the nod for next season, which is fitting. However, we shouldn't have the expectation that he's instantly going to jump over Max, who is, you know, favoured at that team and is, by all accounts, the next coming of Senna. So if Max is going to fulfil his prophecy, it's unlikely that a driver in his second year, first full year at Red Bull, is going to challenge him. So we could have a clear number one at Red Bull, clear number one at Ferrari, I suspect, and at Mercedes. I think it is much more clear-cut than people imagine. There's a clear number one at Mercedes. Yeah, there is absolutely, and um, you know, Bottas, as I say, on his on his best day, can challenge Hamilton, but he'll be there or thereabouts, and that's what you actually want. You want the number one who's getting first place every time, but what you desperately need, and what most teams don't get, is a number two who comes second every time. Yeah, yeah, uh, it'll be interesting to see the McLaren dynamic as well, because can we can we all agree that the Mercedes power unit is better than the Renault power unit? There's no, no one's going to argue that Mercedes and McLaren have done incredibly well this season, considering where they're at with an engine that might well be the fourth best engine on the grid. It might be. It's third or fourth, isn't it? So they're going to have arguably the top two, one of the top two engines on the grid. I don't think Mercedes are going to go out of their way to hobble McLaren. I don't think McLaren are going to be championship contenders. But if they've got Mercedes power... I I think they're going to be properly in the mix. They might be in the mix for podiums. Who knows? And and then it'll be super interesting to see if the Norris signs loving can continue when you know when there's a bit more at stake. 
that will continue until they're fighting for a championship together. At that point, that's when you get really intense. Like Hamilton Rosberg, I keep going back to that, but they were best buddies until they were in the same seat fighting for the championship. And then all of a sudden it went went sour. Um, but I think McLaren next year with that Mercedes engine should be where Renault expected and should have been. Yeah, it's in fact, it's them who could set the target for next season to consolidate their place as, as number four. So consolidate that fourth place early on in the season, hold it, maybe nibbling around at the odd surprise podium and certainly lots of lots of top sixes. Am I showing my age that I I still think of top six as a thing? Like, uh, you know, when, I, when I'm doing, when I'm putting my shiny pennies on uh, before a race uh, on, on a quick bet, I always, I always looked at who do I think will finish in the top six from the old point system. Chris, you are a, a, a terrible person when it comes to naming your team. You have the dis- Don't give me that look like you don't have a sim racing team called the Helmet Club. Oh, yeah. The, the, so, yeah, um, the Helmet Club, they were initially set up for uh, a charity event, but now it's just me and three mates just larking about, essentially going to ruining Spanners' podcasts and his uh, charity events. Yeah, I... I have to say it because that is your teammate, so your team name. So I have to say the Helmet Club. You are you're into helmets. You have Lando Norris and Lewis Hamilton's helmet in your cabinet behind you. They're racing helmet in your cabinet behind you. You are obviously a fan of helmets. So when I see in the show notes that I that I definitely wrote, uh, when I see this topic helmet changes, is is this you? Did you put this in here? Yeah, of course what? it was. Tell um, me, tell me about absolutely. the helmets. Why should I care what color someone's helmet is? <laughs> So basically the the calls from the drivers at the moment are to change the ruling that was brought in in 2015, only allowing one significant change of helmet design every year. It was introduced because Sebastian Vettel, once he'd ditched the uh, kind of just simple Red Bull branding, decided to change his helmet every single race and you could have no idea which which helmet or which driver it was. Um, Kvyat, to put it into... Uh, context for this year he he had a one-off helmet in italy uh and he was actually stopped from having a special helmet for his home grand prix in russia because he asked for permission and they said well that's against the rules so no whereas others max and vettel for example um they've had they've had more than three substantially different helmet designs each uh this year purely because they haven't asked in advance they've just gone and done it and they've gone well it's not worth bothering to penalize them for it um whereas because kiviat was a good boy and asked for permission like you should do um he uh he was told no and and they've all come out and said that it's a stupid rule and and that they should um repeal it right so kiviat's not married is he I, I'm not entirely yeah, sure. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. I can't. I can't see that he's married because he either. Well, he can't have been married for long because, as we know, Matt, it is much better just to ask for forgiveness than permission because the answer is always no. Correct. Always no. Chris, w- what else do we need to know about helmets? Uh, I was going to say actually, I, I tend to agree with the uh, the drivers at this point because nowadays you have the numbers and they've regulated how big the numbers have to be. They're they're massive. You can tell number forty four coming at you from a long way away. And actually, a few years ago, they used to have even the the driver's national flag on the car. Um, you had to display that prominently on the on the airbox. I think it was when they used to have those silly shark fins, um, and that was a, a great little thing because you could tell instantly from a distance who it was. Loved the shark and, fins, by the way. Loved them; they looked cool. 
I thought they were great. Um, but now the the helmet is just kind of kind of shackled in the halo. You can't really see it anyway. Um, so I I think they could just do whatever they like with it. It's good for their their merchandising. It's good for all sorts of different things. So I'm quite happy. I will say one thing. I wish that Lewis went back to his yellow helmet. Back I to his know. Wow. Where's this little white helmet come from? No, but the yellow helmet was all Senna fanboy-y, and that was cool, and that was great to see this this story of, uh, you know, this kid from Stevenage, which some people shockingly got offended when he compared it to Monaco unfavourably. It, it, it's not Monaco. <laughs> but this lad from Stevenage, you know, looking up to his idol Ayrton Senna and, and coming in his, uh, coming up to races in his yellow helmet. I think that suited junior Lewis Hamilton. It was cool. But it's time to make your, your own story and the distinctive red and that kind of fiery red, white and red helmet. I think that's that's his look now. And now I, I until you mentioned that, I'd sort of forgotten that he used to race with a yellow lid. Like I completely think of Hamilton as as white helmet. I shall have to update my collection and get his uh, his latest lid for my uh, my cabinet. Uh, yes, and that's that's right. Uh, the Jotma he he did, he did call Stevenage slums, and whilst I don't want to get the I don't want to face the wrath of people of Stevenage, I'm just going to say before you judge that comment, have a little walk around, just have a have a little <laughs> stroll around yourself. Go check it out. It's fine. Uh, Brazil. Into Lagos, Matt. That's where I want to go next after you make this next significant fantastic point. Uh, minor point clarification. Uh, Mercedes McLaren 2021, not 2020. Oh. Thanks to Philip Allen that, in the chat. I Right. I'd missed that. No. Thank goodness. Thank goodness he said that. Is that right? Oh, I thought they dumped them immediately. Right. Well, oh, next year is going to be super awkward. That's like getting a divorce but still staying in the house. And No. How's that going to work? It's like trying to pretend that you're still friends when the relationship is failing. Um, when was it last year when when Renault were having a go at Toro Rosso when they knew that they were going to Honda and there was all that sniping? That'll that'll be a juicy bit of gossip for next year when McLaren oh, yeah. start imploding towards the end of the season. There's never been any controversy, thankfully, about how Renault treat their customer teams engine wise. So, oh, that's a shame. I was re- I was genuinely looking forward to McLaren Mercedes. Next season, I'm going to have to wait another season. When Ron Dennis, there was some logic to what he said about, well, you can never win a championship as a customer team. There was a lot of logic to what he was saying. By the same token, he wasn't he wasn't the second best. They weren't the second best Mercedes power team either. And they just, they robbed themselves of a good platform and they just had three, four dead years that Red Bull are now reaping the benefits of. I... I genuinely weep for the lost McLaren years, and I was I was genuinely excited for McLaren Mercedes, Matt. So I'm devastated. A year, another year to wait. Yeah, another year in the wilderness, but it will give us so much to talk about next season. Yeah, it will as be. we see the relative uh, performance of the Renault and McLaren. Come on, it will be intriguing. Interlagos next, somewhat of a dead rubber. There's still stuff to play for. If you look at the championship table. There's some really surprising things on there. Four-time world champion Sebastian Vettel, inarguably the the sometime best, probably second best overall car, is fifth in the championship right now. But overall, it is a dead rubber, but there's still lots to look forward to, Matt. Uh, Well, this actually, I love this time of year because, well, you're not racing for the driver's championship. 
You're not racing for the Constructors' Championship. You're only racing for glory. So that means all the chances should be taken by the teams at this point, and especially by the drivers. There's no more, oh, well, yeah, I let Max go because I want to win a championship. Why bother? There ain't nothing on the line but who crosses the line first. So let's see who's willing to chuck it up the inside and make it stick, as they say. Interesting to note, um, last year, Mercedes had a hard time with the super soft tires at Brazil. And I never talk about the selected sets the drivers bring because it's always the same. But I cannot help but notice that Mr. Hamilton is bringing four sets of the medium tire, which is one step harder than last year's super soft tire, to Brazil as compared to two or one for more or less all the rest of the sharp end of the field. So it may be that Mercedes has learned a bit of a lesson. Botas has two hards and three mediums, and they're both bringing eight super softs or the the soft tire which is the c3 c1 c2 c3 so so yeah it's like mercedes has just officially given up on running the soft tire at the start of the race is what it looks like to me already yeah i'd, I'd expect that to be borne out in qualifying in uh, in q2 when they uh just go out on the mediums or, or you know bottas why has he got that second hard could he you know, want to start the race on that I, I think the problem is the delta between the the soft and the hard tire is too great to qualify on that one because he, he probably wouldn't get through to q3 on the hard tire okay i'm going to stop the tire chat the, the chat room's going nuts i think they all love you matt but they've gone oh god we're back on the we're back on the tires again obviously some of that discrepancy between the drivers is because in the quali- in the practice sessions they will split. So one driver will go out on hards and test hards and the others will will test on a medium for some of the runs. Yeah, I've never mentioned this before in any predictions, but it really struck me that the Mercedes is bringing so many mediums compared to the other teams. And that's the only reason I brought it up. I've looked at the long, long-term long weather forecast because Interlagos is a lot of fun in the rain and it doesn't look like we've got much chance of, uh, of precipitation. Uh, the only day that looks a tiny bit rainy is Friday, but there is a lot of cl- uh, cloud cover. So that would tend to make me think that we're looking at Mercedes having the jump uh, and and being a good bet. I don't think Ferrari are going to miraculously recover. I hate to break hearts, but if you and me had to bet, Matt, I'm going to bet that Ferrari, again, don't have that engine power and, and thus kind of proving my earlier point. W- what's your bet on the, on Ferrari? Are they going to turn up with hods of horsepower? Uh, I'm going to say it's going to depend on the downforce configuration they choose to run. But I'm intrigued by the very likely possibility they're going to be on the soft tires versus Mercedes on the mediums at the start of the race. If you're asking me for a prediction, uh, much like Mexico, I'm going to say Verstappen in the Red Bull is definitely someone to watch. He would have won it last year, except for... Well, you know, he he got a little bit, um, I don't know, saw a little bit of red mist when his old rival Ocon tried to unlap himself under orders from his team. And we argued argued all week about that. That was brilliant. It was delicious, wasn't it? I don't see him doing that again, should he find himself in the same situation. I'm looking forward to watching Vettel and uh, and Hamilton deal with Verstappen. If Chris hears, not, not this Chris. Not not empty chair, Chris. This Chris. Uh, I'm looking forward to how they will deal with Verstappen when it really matters. So when there's a championship on the line, and will they do they stick with their current policy of saying, "Oh well, you leave him room, and he'll probably gift you that place back." I think if it, if there's a title fight on, 
this could be one of the big defining challenges, I think, of Hamilton's career. I think that I think Vettel will will lose out ultimately wheel to wheel with Verstappen if it came down to it. Hamilton versus Verstappen in comparable machinery with a title on the line. That has got to be what F1 fans are, are, are dreaming of when we're talking about 2020 wishes. Yeah, absolutely. I, I definitely think that's the thing that everybody wants. But I think if Lewis is serious uh, about if if he thinks Verstappen will take him on next year, he's got to put him in his little box uh, for the last two races of this year and cannot give him that extra few inches of room because if Verstappen knows that, he will just throw it down the inside at every opportunity. So Hamilton's 34 now. So 34 is when, how old are you, Chris? I am 33. You're 33. So 33, 34, 35 is when that invincibility shield starts kind of disappearing from your from your brain and you go, I am a mortal being, I'm a mortal engine. And you get a kind of that wiser head and your risk reward is different. It's not always risk. Sometimes it's a measured risk. My concern in that battle would be Lewis Hamilton has been dominant only on pure race pace. Lap one, Lewis Hamilton this season, roll the tape back on all the lap ones, on all the corner ones. Lewis Hamilton has been very, very conservative since he built up a big championship lead. Like he's he's kept his nose out of trouble. He's let Verstappen go. How will that translate in a in a season under pressure, properly under pressure? Because against Rosberg, which wasn't a million years ago, he didn't he didn't keep his nose out. You know, Barcelona as soon as he realised he was on the grass, that Lewis Hamilton 100% kept his foot completely floored and stuck in and made sure he was either getting past or they were both going out. I don't think, yeah, I don't think 2020 Lewis Hamilton is going to have that same, that same attitude because he's, he's, he's a real grown up now. Yeah. Well, actually I'll counter that when you saw how, harshly he fought Bottas at Cota, drove him straight off the road. Um, and that was his teammate. So I, I can't imagine okay, that he's okay. going to give any room to, to Verstappen. Well, that so was I, his teammate with a load of runoff in, in an era where we're specifically allowed to do that running off on the outside. So with the current FIA stewarding, you now you know you can go all the way to the outside and, and run the driver off. The driver on the outside has to essentially not drive off he has to allow the crash to happen is the only way the car on the outside can force a penalty now so that there might be some specific some specifics in that but let's see let's see i'm looking forward to see seeing if hamilton has the same aggression going for his seventh title as he had going for his going for his first guys thank you so much for joining me on this news and brazilian grand prix preview show uh, what have we got coming up matt i think we're going to try and catch up with chris medland again and uh we'll see if we can we'll, we'll we'll go out on twitter we'll get we'll get some questions for chris because he sounds like he's had some amazing adventures on his uh on his north american tour uh of course we'll we'll try and catch up in the week to do a patron podcast as well and the brazilian grand prix uk time is five ten p.m matt so the race will finish around seven so i reckon we'll probably go for a 9 p.m uk time live stream and still get it done ready for your Monday morning commute. How does that sound? Sounds good to me. Okay, fantastic. Well, if you want to hear more from Matt, he's great on Twitter. Follow him at MattPT55. And if you want to uh, help him with his dream of not having to work anymore, 
support his wife in her book sales uh, by visiting at A Weaver Writes and Chris Catman Turner. Where are you, you're at Helmet Club, I think as well. You've got, you've got a Helmet Club page as well as a Catman F1 page. Yeah, so we've got Catman F1 on the Twitters and we have the helmetclub.co.uk. Um, as I say, that was just uh, set up around my charity event I did a couple of years ago. Now it's just three guys larking around. So uh, you can find me uh, on Catman F1 on Twitter. You can also follow me if you don't find me too objectionable at Spanners Ready, the show at Missed Apex F1. We have a Missed Apex Facebook page and we'd super appreciate you subscribing to our YouTube channel by searching for Missed Apex Podcast on YouTube. Wherever we see you next, be brave, because wounds heal, chicks dig scars, and glory lasts forever. This was Missed Apex. Well, congratulations, Chris Catman-Turner, now my favourite Chris on Missed Apex. Not at all like that other terrible Chris who was like, wait, what? There's a show tonight? Yeah, the one we agreed to do. I hate that Chris now. May his legacy be destroyed. May the history books have his name wiped from them. May his ancestors turn in their graves watching him sully their good name. Too too much? Uh, no, absolutely not. I think I'm like that um, exotic, magical Chris you spend that one night with and then you go back uh, to your, your normal everyday uh, everyday Chris for the rest of the year just thinking of me. Oh, wow. You're like, you're our, uh, I don't want to give too much away here, but you're our, hol- you're our, you're our holiday Chris. <laughs> 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 you're our, you're, yeah. you're our, that weekend in IB for Chris. All right, uh, Matt, I've been doing so well. I've been doing well, and I can see from the look on your face and from the chat room comments that I, I haven't forgotten for ages, to be fair. Matt, who are the contenders for? Comment of the week. I think, I think I'd, I'd started to dispel the, oh, Spanners forgets about comment of the week. I, that was starting to disappear. Now it's back, and I feel ashamed ease my shame by amusing me with the best of the chat room's comments and contributions. Yeah, well, I'm actually beginning to think we should have a separate category just for people who compliment me. No! No, the opposite uh, of that. Now for there example. Was, no, there is a cash prize for people actively slagging Matt off. So, for example, Christopher Fonseca, right you are, Matt, you gorgeous Herculean man. And um, someone in there went, oh, Matt looks really slick, slick but can we not get a comb for spanners and the other one? <laughs> you, were, <laughs> you, were, you, were, you were the other one only. And Just I call them, Chris. You've got some chance of being right. And this is, okay, this is like- I, wait, wait, wait. So the, I got this haircut specifically done for you people. You paid money for that. With help <laughs> from my two-year-old child. So that's why it looks like this. So be grateful. All right, and I am going for like a highly stylized, like a messy on purpose kind of like, clearly not working. No, we can't have a special section for people complimenting you. Sorry, Shane Malloy, who thought I looked a bit like King John, the lion from the animated Disney Robin Hood movie. Apparently, I can't mention your name now. Darn it. Come on then. Serious contenders, trumpets. You're irking I'm, me. I'm uh, irked. I'm sorry to irk you. Um, Evangelos. Heteroclitus, can we have Trumpets open the show tonight? This way he'll be our, quote, welcome Matt. 
Okay, no puns can't win. Nick's not on. Uh, Jamie Ryan with his Hamilton bias bias. We yeah, about the that, bias incident. that tickled me. Yeah, that tickled me. Yeah. We, we are... We are accused regularly of being a uh, Hamilton, Hamilton bias, and we are offended because we resemble that remark. Resent, resent that remark. Absolutely. Our friend I Hammer, substituting for Chris Stevens, it's Chair Williams. Oh, okay. Again, though, it's a pun. So we're struggling here for the non-pun ones. Uh, we've, we've got a few. Uh, Stephen Armstrong, I thought Ferrari had elected a new pope during testing with the amount of white smoke coming from the garage. Not suspicious at all. Nothing to see here. Complete coincidence. Uh, Christopher Fonseca, uh, perhaps inviting Hulk to give the trophies out at Abu Dhabi would be a nice going away present. Oh, don't do that. <laughs> do That's that. just so, harsh, I, right? I, I, Sorry, I can't credit this, but I saw on Twitter somebody said, can all the teams... Please deliberately slow down so Hulkenberg can leave F1 with a podium. And then below that, the top comment was someone who had tagged all the F1 teams. And then the top comment below that was, hey, did you really need to tag Williams? <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Ouch. Uh, oh, my goodness. Where where did I go? Ah, you made me lose my place. Um Oh, yeah. Derek Irwin, 2020 on-screen telemetry to include Gunther Steiner's blood pressure. I'd like that. I would like that. It would definitely better than a random made-up tire graphic that makes no sense whatsoever. Have we a winner? Ooh, it's so, it's so, but I think, I think I have to go. Oh, I think I have to go with Jamie Ryan, Hamilton bias bias. He's still technically a pun. But we're going to allow it. Jamie, feel free to add that to your Twitter bio. Comment of the week. Good. I think that just about does it. Unless I've forgotten anything else that we do every week inexplicably, like the unstoppable waffling moron I appear to be. No, good. No, I, I think, I think, I mean, yeah, there's like 19 topics that we never got to in the notes, but I that's know, normal. So. But that's a good hour and 20 minute show. Okay, let's stop. Let's stop yeah. that there. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 